It's time for The Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's The Car Doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor, here to help you with your car problems on this Saturday morning. Our phone number, again, is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. If you're uh, saying, hmm, he sounds a little odd today, is, is he in the studio? No, I'm not in the studio today. I'm outside the studio, so... Uh, uh, but everything should work the way it's supposed to, you know, if, if it works the way it's supposed to. Dennis is in the studio, so things are well under control at that end, and uh, we'll just hope we'll just hope the internet and uh, and whatever other services continue to make it work the way it's supposed to. Hey, for 2020, the Corvette is also besides getting a redesign. The badge on the Corvette's getting a redesign. The eighth generation Chevrolet Corvette has been redesigned so completely that even the famous badge is getting a new look. The Revive uh, badges uh, have three new main elements. The Chevrolet bow tie, the checkered flag, and the fleur de lay remain, but they have been recast. Chevrolet will produce two versions of the badge, a dark and a light. Uh, I don't know. Some, some things I think shouldn't be changed, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. And, of course, it's car show season coming up. And I got a notice from the people down in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, that the Greenwich Concord d'Elegance, this is one of these high-end car shows, and it's going to be taking place uh, May 31st to June 2nd, and that is always a big fancy show, and they're going to celebrate the Zagato Centennial with honorees uh, Andrea Zagato and... Uh, Morella Zagato, additional features, classes will be Bentleys and all kinds of orphan marks. And uh, the beneficiaries of it are AmeriCares and the Hometown Foundation. But this is always a big, fancy show. Uh, the uh, Saturday is the Concours Americana for American Cars and and motorcycles, while well, Sunday is Concord International for imported marks. Uh, they'll also have special classes for Zagato, Bentley, and supercars and orphan marks, limited production marks that no longer exist, so really what those are all about. Uh, some of the pictures in there, they have a pretty fancy brochure, and some of the pictures in the brochure, uh, a lot of Ferraris and things like that, but as well as uh, uh, really nice uh, Jaguar, an old Jaguar, and of course you can't have... Uh, you can't have a show like this without a McLaren or two in the group. And then, of course, there's a uh, Tucker in the group. And uh, I've only seen one Tucker up close, and I think that was probably in a museum. I don't know that I've ever seen one actually driving down the road. And special presentations, uh, Wayne Carini and Ken Gross will both uh, be there. Uh, Wayne Carini, the host of Chasing Classic Cars, and their chief judge, Ken Gross, will be hosting a special presentation on the show field where they'll select interesting cars and their owners for a fun and informative review. Uh, Ken Gross is uh, kind of an old-time car guy, been around for a really long time. 
he was at one of the events that I did back a few years ago. Just a good guy. Uh, in fact, I think the New England Motor Press, way back in one of our first events at MIT, I think we honored Ken Gross for for all he's done for the automotive industry. But if you want more information about this event, it's going to be Saturday, June 1st, um, and Sunday, June 2nd, uh, 10 to 4. It's going to be at the Roger Sherman Baldwin Park. That's in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, you can get there all kinds of different ways, including um, you can take the train there, apparently. Uh, but it's uh, it's a little a little pricey, thirty dollars uh, for the day or fifty dollars for both days. Children under twelve are free when accompanied by an adult. You have to um, if you if you purchase the tickets in advance, you can get in a little bit early. And VIP admission, if you have more money you want to spend, hundred and fifty dollars per day or two hundred and fifty dollars for both days. I don't know what the VIP admission gets you, but I hope it gets you more than the forty dollar per day ticket does but if you want more information about it go visit their website it's greenwichconcours.com and you can find out all kinds of good information about what's going on at the show and all kinds of good events at the show uh and of course you know here in dedham at the endicott estate uh there's always the big show that comes up there and that's always a good show we talked about it last week as well We've heard of this company a little bit, and I've seen some of their billboards, and I've seen some of their commercials, and the name of the company is Carvana, and they say they're trying to make selling cars less hard, and this is a comment from, I think, uh, Automotive News or Auto Week, one or the other, back about a week or so ago, and it says, uh, it's, it's, uh, comes out of Detroit, says, I don't love the current process of buying and selling cars. I, I find it time-consuming at times deceitful and how some automakers and dealers advertise pricing with misleading incentives that a majority of people don't qualify for. Then there's the task of selling your old vehicle. You can either trade it in to a dealer for thousands of dollars below retail value. Well, that is true. On the other hand, the dealer has to uh, prep it for sale, warranty it. So there's some cost involved. Then they have to make money on it. They can't just have it sit there. So I, I think it's perfectly acceptable to know that you're going to be trading it in at less than retail value. But anyway, um, so you can trade it in at thousands of dollars below retail value. And again, this is Michael Whalen. He's a reporter for one of the crane publications or you can uh, post it post a sign on the car hoping the right buyer sees it or sell it online i guess um it's for these reasons as well as general curiosity i wanted to try alternative methods of i've learned that uh buying and selling cars isn't easy but some dealers and emerging online retailers are making it more transparent and overall smoother experience one of the standout examples I've experienced and used is used vehicle startup Carvana. Uh, nearly the entire process for me to sell a 2014 Chevrolet Volt was completed in 20 30 minutes, including online appraisal, estimate, uploading of documents, and representing a representative coming to my house to inspect and pick up the vehicle with a check already printed. 
Carvana showing its need to build inventory. It also offered me about $2,000 more than several Detroit area dealers did as a trade-in. Carvana restored my faith in online vehicle retailing after several missteps with others. Initially, I was interested in using Swap swapalease.com to find a cheap short to midterm lease with no down payment and straightforward pricing but i uh, struck out for several months on a handful of vehicles the owners either didn't respond were already in discussions with someone else or in one case failed to disclose the car needed significant body work traditional real killers could learn a lot from emerging online competition such as Carvana and Swapalise and vice versa. No one knows how vehicle retailing will evolve, but one thing is for certain, Amazon and others have changed expectations of retailers that include dealers as well as online startups. I guess selling a car online like that, where it's nice and easy, probably makes a whole lot of sense. On the other hand, buying a car online, to me, I don't know. I still want to be able to sit in it and touch it. Now, of course, they have a they have a return policy if you don't like it. But the idea of looking online, looking at a lot of pictures, and I guess with Carvana, you you're getting sort of the better quality cars. And and like the reporter said in that article, that sometimes you don't always get the best indication when people put a car online. They post pictures, and the pictures don't always fully represent what the car looks like. In fact, I was looking at a car the other day, and it looked really good until you got to the back corner of the car. And they never mentioned the car needed body work. But you got to the back corner, and you could see the back corner was pretty well wrinkled up. But they never mentioned that. They just listed the condition as average. So eh, I'm not so sure. From Automotive News, there was an article that uh, listed a local dealership here in Massachusetts, and it says, Acton Service welcomes the old and the really old. The trick to classic repairs hourly rates. And this is, um, the article is by a guy, Richard Truitt of uh, Automotive News. It says, you don't really see old cars, really old cars, in service departments of new car dealerships, but at Acton Chrysler Dodge Ram Jeep, in Massachusetts, it's not unusual to see a 1969 Dodge Charger getting a tune-up in one bay, while a 2019 uh, new Dodge Charger is repaired in another. All vehicles uh, are not a nuisance in this store. All makes and models and years back to 1920s Ford Model A's are welcome. Uh, dealer Coleman Hoyt services all vehicles in two areas. Um, those that need tune-ups and regular maintenance, such as mufflers, replacements, brake works, are handled in the store's service department alongside modern vehicles. But for more involved work uh, on antique and classic cars, Hoyt operates a six-bay satellite service area in a separate building where trained technicians repair, restore, and modify. These are time-consuming jobs that may require not hours of work, but months. Hoyt says other franchise new vehicle dealerships in town thinks he's nuts. Before becoming a uh, Fiat Chrysler dealership in 2011, the store sold Lincoln and Mercury vehicles. Declining sales for both Ford and Lincoln brands in the early 2000s reduced the number of vehicles in op operation at Acton to the point that on some days, Hoyt's service department techs didn't have much to do. Uh, we lost a tremendous amount of our customer base, Hoyt said of that slow era during the time 
we had to morph from what we were, a Lincoln Mercury store, to servicing all makes and models in order to stay busy. Our initial posture was that since we weren't selling enough cars to fill a garage, we wanted to work on cars that are in our customers' driveways. We started to say yes to customers' requests on their old cars. One part of the store's uh, Lincoln Mercury legacy lives on. In fact, it enables Acton to service old vehicles profitably, and that's hourly rates. Unlike most U.S. new car dealerships, Hoyt pays his technicians by the hour, not on the flat rate pay system by the job. In the early 2000s, Acton took over, uh, took part in Ford Motor Company's experiment, experiment, which 30 Lincoln's Mercury stores switched their technician from flat rate to hourly. Ford wanted to see if customer satisfaction and technician productivity rose if the techs were paid by the hour. Well, this is, the flat rate system is, in my opinion, what has hurt the automotive industry as much as anything else has. It really does encourage technicians to rush. It encourages cutting some corners. And at the end of the day, the, the customer is the one that sort of suffers because you might send a car in to get some work done. It's covered under warranty, or maybe it isn't. And the technician rushes through the job. It goes back together, and it comes out worse than it was when it went in. So I always kind of I always have a concern about that. And the other thing is flat rate doesn't pay overtime so if a technician works 40 hours a week and he accumulates 50 or 60 hours of clock of flat rate time he gets paid for 60 hours at whatever his flat rate pay is if he decides to work 50 or 60 clock uh, clock hours actually real hours and maybe he actually accumulates a busy shop accumulates 100 hours of flat rate time well, he doesn't get time and a half, or she doesn't get time and a half. It's just straight time. And it's one of the few areas where you don't get time and a half. So it's it's something that actually kind of hurts the industry. I was talking to Dave, the service director at uh, Copeland Toyota and Chevrolet in Brockton. He's one of the members on an advisory board that I'm on with um, Bristol Plymouth Votech. And he was saying that they're looking at doing away with their flat rate system just for those reasons and kind of coming up with some kind of kind of guarantee that the technicians will make maybe either they'll get paid strictly hourly or they'll be guaranteed 80% of their best week. So there isn't that fear of you have to do as much as you can in case the next week slows down. Uh, on to the story. The experiment ended, Hoyt said, but he retained hourly pay for his technicians, a structure that makes time-consuming work of old vehicles repair viable. You can't do this in a flat-rate system, Hoyt said, of classic car work. It just can never work. These days, the wait, lift, wait list for the dealership's antique and special interest restoration department is almost a year. That's amazing. So it's a six-pay shop. Who knows how many people they have working there, but they're saying that they have a wait list of about a year. And before the shop will take on a project, each potential customer and vehicle is screened by Hoyt and Joe Herbert, uh, Hebert, uh, Acton's assistant service manager for technical operations. Our approach to antique cars is that we don't want a high school kid who's looking to fix up an old rusted out Mustang or has to get money from his parents. Hoyt said, we want the affluent baby boomer who loves cars but can't do the work himself. This is discretionary. We judge the quality of the job and the quality of the customer. 
Some of these jobs can take six months or longer, and you have to understand ahead that it's going to be a long time. Um, two types of work, uh, they don't do paint and uh, collision or rust repair on vehicle bodies, um, and the store won't do ultra expensive exotic foreign cars. But it's kind of an, it's kind of an interesting idea that they're putting forth that, hey, we'll try to do something a little bit different. And it started off as a way to try to try to stay a little bit busy. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030, if you want to join us and talk about your car, your car problems, maybe whatever's on your mind, uh, give us a call. Uh, Volkswagen earmarks another $6 billion for diesel liabilities. Volkswagen Group said it set aside about $6 billion in contingent liabilities to cover possible risks arising from its diesel cheating scandal. I guess they just have a lot of money. And Cummings is uh, probing some emissions certification issues with the Ram engines. Cummings, a key supplier of engines for Ram pickups, has started to review on how it certifies its uh, the emissions of its engines. Cummings will check certification and compliance process for the engines in the 2019 Ram 2500 and 3500 trucks after conversation with the EPA and the California Air Resources Board. So we'll have to wait and see about that. Unless V8s and Fords... Ford is going to scale back output of the V8 engines at the Ontario plant. Ford Motor Company is dropping one of three production shifts at its Essex engine plant in Windsor, Ontario in October because of waning demand for the 5-liter V8 in the automaker's F-Series trucks. Buyers can choose among the 2.7, 3.3, and 3.5 and 5-liter engines as well as a diesel variant. Uh, and many are opting for the smaller engines, according to uh the local uh, labor union up there, the local automakers union. So a little bit, a little bit less going on with the big V8. Um, I was looking at a Ford pickup truck just the other day. A guy towing a good sized trailer with it uh, has a 3.5 liter uh, engine in it, and uh, very happy with how well it tows and how well it works. So. Uh, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for the ability for these smaller engines. The real story is going to be, and this has always been my opinion about this, is how they will hold up over time. One thing about a big V8 always was that you always, you always, or at least in my opinion, I always thought that if they got a little bit tired, they still had an awful lot left, so they could still. If they weren't up to the same kind of horsepower and work that they were when they were brand new, they were so over-engineered, they weren't working that hard anyway, which is one of the reasons some of these V8 engines were lasting as long as they did. I kind of wonder now, with the V6 engines, especially the turbocharged V6 engine, how well they'll do because the, the engine has to work a little bit harder. Now... When I was talking to someone about this once, and we kind of really got into it a little bit more, one of the things we talked about was really how often do you drive with your foot to the floor, and that's when that's when the engine really has to work a lot harder. And most people don't drive that way very often. In fact, when you're out on the highway, cruising out on the highway, you're probably only using about 15 horsepower or so. I know the last performance Chrysler car that I drove, uh, the... Uh, the Dodge Challenger, it actually had a gauge up that you could put up on the dash, and it would tell you how many horsepower you're using. 
And I, I'm probably the only one who was curious about how little horsepower you, you were using as opposed to most people probably probably wanted to see. Can I really make it say 707 horsepower when I push when I push on the gas as hard as I can for as long as I can? Will it really say 707 horsepower? It will. Uh, but the uh, but you need kind of you need a long, quiet place to be able to do that. But I was more curious or as curious about when you're driving down the road, you kind of look at, well, I'm doing 65 miles an hour out in the highway. I'm keeping up with traffic. How many, what's, how much horsepower do I need to maintain that? About 15 or 20 horsepower is all you need. So I, I guess when you look at these turbocharged engines, you're going to look at it and say, well, they should last because they're not really working hard. But if you're somebody who constantly tows a trailer, if you were towing a, I don't know, a good sized trailer across country or maybe up in the hills of New Hampshire all the time, and you really had to put your foot to the floor. One, one of the first things you'll notice when you do that is that your fuel economy, which you liked before, is going to start to uh, not be as good as it used to be. We did an article at AAA back a couple months ago about headlight issues, and one of the issues with headlights are couple of the issues with headlights is the plastic headlight lenses will start to deteriorate over, over time and they'll uh, they'll get they'll get almost to the point of being a little bit foggy looking and when that happens you don't get good light and there was an article in consumer reports and it's uh, under their ask the experts section it says why aren't my headlights illuminating the road well sometimes just cleaning the headlights with household cleaner is enough to increase their brightness if that doesn't work and there are no issues with your vision, important note. The problem could be the coating on the headlight lenses. A recent AAA study reported the plastic lenses can start to deteriorate in three to five years and can become so clouded and yellowed over time. The headlights provide just 22% of the light when they were new. Drivers need a minimum of 300 to 350 feet to see and react and break when traveling, according to Jennifer Stockberger, Director of Operations at Consumer Reports Auto Test Center. If headlight illumination drops to 20% from the original brightness, visibility could drop enough to make night driving riskier than it already is. Uh, their thoughts are a mechanic can replace the entire headlight or assembly or restore the plastic coating using kits sold online or in auto parts stores if the lenses are clear but the lights are dimmer. Uh, than they used to be, you may need new bulbs. A couple of things. You can polish out the lenses, and you can, if you spend enough time and effort, you can get them looking pretty good. But you also need to coat them afterwards so the ultraviolet light doesn't affect them. Uh, most kits come with some sort of ultraviolet uh, coating that goes over them. You can also seal the lights with uh, a sort of a, a plastic film like they put on cars to protect the hood area from stone chips, and you can put this plastic film on, which does a good job. It does take a little bit, even though it's very transparent, it takes just a tiny bit of light away. Uh, the other thing is you can replace the headlight assemblies. So you can either replace them with the factory assemblies, which are very expensive, or you can replace them with aftermarket assemblies. Our testing showed that as good as the aftermarket assemblies looked and fit, the lighting output was not quite as good as the factory ones. But you're going from, in a case where they're really, really bad, 
and you're only getting 20 or 25 percent of the light out of the headlights, then you're going up to the point where you're getting 95 percent of the light and the car is going to look good and new headlight lenses make the car really look nice again. It makes it look almost brand new. So that can make a real difference. Again, the factory ones are the factory ones. They're the ones that work the best. The aftermarket ones that you can buy online. You can buy them places like Rock Auto and Napa and places like that. You can get the replacements, but they they work pretty well. Uh, the other thing is people don't drive with their high beams on enough. And I know for people who get annoyed with people with their high beams on, um, but if you're most low beam headlights don't illuminate the road enough if you're driving over 40 or 45 miles an hour. So like the article said, drivers need a minimum of 300 and 350 feet to see to react and brake when traveling at 60 miles an hour. Well, at 60 miles an hour with your low beams, you're not going to get 300 to 350 feet. So you need to use your high beams and you need to use them responsibly, but you need to use them often to be able to get enough light on the road so you can see where you're going. Uh, back in the... Uh, well, I guess if we went back in the old, 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 old days, people did have to polish their headlights because they were reflectors. So you had to get in there and you polish the lights. But when we went to seal beam bulbs, even conventional seal beam bulbs that were used right up until the 60s and 70s, when a bulb went bad, you replaced it and you got new glass in front of it. Then we went to halogen bulbs. They were the brighter ones that had a little bit of a yellow tinge to them. Those were very inexpensive as well. Same deal. You replaced the bulb, you got new lenses. Now as we go to these more aerodynamic look with the plastic covers, yeah, there's there's some work that needs to be done. And then some cars in the 80s had glass headlights with replaceable bulbs, and the glass would either uh, get sandblasted from just sand, just like a windshield would, or else it would get moldy inside from moisture getting inside of them to get all black and dirty. And those you could take out, wash them with bleach and clean them and, and try to put them all back together, and hopefully it works okay. Something that we're going to see as the weather warms up, tree sap can leave a sticky mess on your vehicle, and it can be particularly problematic in warm weather. Heat accelerates how sap sticks to the paint. According to the chief mechanic at the Consumer Reports Auto Test Center, you, the longer you wait, the harder it is to remove clean sap off as soon as possible. Otherwise, it will eventually eat through the paint. Uh, they recommend using rubbing alcohol and a soft cloth to try to remove sap. If that doesn't work, try a specialized tree sap and bug and tar removal product. Be sure to use it sparingly. Test on a small area of paint. Some can damage clear coat and possibly the paint itself. Wash off any residual and follow with a uh, full coat of wax. Try removing sap from a windshield. Uh, try a plastic scraper if the sap remains. Try a, ra try a razor blade taking care not to scratch the glass. Um, yeah, a brand new single-edge razor blade. Don't find one that's been kicking around the house for a while. A brand new single-edge razor blade that's really clean. Uh, I have seen really good uh, detail shops take a single-edge razor blade, and they'll actually very carefully clean any of the uh, contaminants off the paint, uh, Which, uh, but you have to be really careful, and they use a, they use a little bit of... Uh, soapy water to make sure everything's going to be uh, everything's going to be good to go uh some recalls to talk about 1.3 million subaru cross tracks from 2013 to 2017 and foresters 2014 to 2016 and impreza's 2008 to 2016 uh and wrx's a whole bunch of those too as well 2008 to 2014 
All because the brake lights could fail. So if you own one of those cars, you may get a recall notice in the mail. 1.3 million Ford F-150 pickup trucks from 2011 to 2013 because the automatic transmission can unexpectedly downshift. We talked about this when it first came out. Yeah, it can, it can unexpectedly downshift into second or maybe even first gear. About a half a million uh, Ram 2500 pickup trucks from 2018 to um, I'm sorry, 2014 to 2017, and 3,500 pickup trucks 2013 to 2017 because of steering components that could cause the driver to lose control. About a half a million Honda Accords 2017 back to 2015, and Acura TLXs 2015 to 2019, and MDXs, one of my favorite SUVs, 2016 to 2018 model years because of defective fuel pumps that can lead to stalling. The Kia Soul from 2012 to 2016 model years, uh, again, one of my favorite little vehicles, uh, kind of an underrated vehicle. It's just starting to get really popular now, but it's it's almost an SUV. It's almost a station wagon. It's almost a truck. A uh, lot of room in it. Eh, fuel economy is not quite as good as it should be, but pretty good. Um, 2012 to 2016, uh, because the catalytic converter can fail, it can overheat, and it can damage the engine. Uh you can always check uh, safercar.gov to get more information about whether your vehicle was uh, was involved in a recall, whether it needs to be recalled. Uh, you can file information. If you think your car has a problem, you can also file some information on their website and say, hey, look, I think my car needs to be recalled, and uh, they can fill out some information about it. And and. It doesn't take a lot of people actually talking about a recall before things start to perk up and people say, hey, well, hey look, you know, it's we need to think about a recall. We need to do this. We need to do that. So uh, it will it actually gets us started. It 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 doesn't take again. It, I think it, it can depending on what they find, it can take only half a dozen people to. Uh, log into the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration website, the safercar.gov website, uh, fill out some information. It will get sort of the wheels turning. So if things are consistent and they're serious, there you go. Remember, the Car Doctor program is brought to you in part by AAA. Nothing is more important than keeping your family safe when you're out on the road. But the truth is you, can always, uh, you can't always be there if your car's in trouble. Even if you could, would you have time, the tools, and expertise to deal with the situation? That's where my employer, AAA, comes in. Every year, more than 59 million AAA members enjoy peace of mind knowing their family's safe thanks to our world-class roadside protection. With AAA, you're fully covered no matter where you are, whose car you're in, whether you're driving or just along for the ride. So if I was in Dennis's car and it broke down, I would call 1-800-AAA-HELP. They would come and get us and, you know, do whatever it takes, tow it to a dealership, tow it to the garage, tow it home, whatever the case is. And if there's uh, trouble, uh, we actually have a full training department. We have four people that work out of our Providence office, one that works out of North Andover, a couple in Connecticut, some in New York and New Jersey. And... They can do some minor some minor things to your car, uh, everything from jump start to replacing batteries to uh, get you back in if you're locked out of your car. Uh, we'll even deliver fuel, uh, depending on your level of membership. Uh, if you're a plus member, we'll, we'll put enough gas in your car to get you where you need to go. And, of course, if we can't fix it, uh, sometimes it's a 
a faulty fuel pump, for instance, and we might be able to get it going. Sometimes if the fuel tank is in an area where we can get to it, sometimes just banging on the bottom of the gas tank is enough to get the fuel pump moving again. And yeah, it's, it didn't fix the problem, but it got you home. So it's going to work until you shut it back off maybe, or it gets hung up again, but at least you know what it was. Uh, sometimes we'll switch out some relays so a fuel pump relay goes bad. Well, it's the same relay as the horn. So we'll swap the two relays back and forth. All of a sudden, the fuel pump starts to work. You're good to go. You know where the problem is. So we'll do some minor diagnostics. We don't carry parts with us, so there's nothing we can do. But as far as dead battery, you know, jump start. And, you know, one thing we do is we have batteries with us. So if you think your car is going to need a battery, you can send someone out with a – with. we have this really – nice new tool now that makes life a lot easier testing batteries and it syncs up to a tablet or a smartphone uh pretty nice the way it works uh best of all there's three levels of membership so you find a plan that matches your driving and travel needs you know if you never leave town triple a the basic triple a membership is fine it's going to give you three miles of towing uh, or back to the responding repair facility if you need to do more than that you, you pay a little bit by the mile uh, lockouts and, and jump starts and all that are all included in your membership. AAA Plus, which most people have, gives you 100 miles of towing. And then there's a premier membership, which gives you one 200-mile tow per year. Nothing more important than keeping your family safe. That's why AAA offers more protection, more choices, and more coverage. Join AAA today, uh, AAA.com or 1-800-JOIN-AAA. My name is John Paul. This is a Car Doctor program. Our phone lines are open at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. When we come back, we're going to talk about two different cars. The Mazda 3, which is an all-new five-passenger compact hatchback, and the Volkswagen GTI, again, a five-passenger compact hatchback. We'll kind of do a little comparison between the two. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February may... I was taking a trip out to L.A., tooling along in my Chevrolet, talking on the number and digging on the radio. Well, we're not tooling along in a Chevrolet, but uh, we're here. And our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. I want to talk about two hatchbacks. The first is the all-new Mazda 3. It's all-new for 2019. The Mazda 3's been around for a while. This five-passenger compact comes in a four-door sedan or a hatchback, and that's what I drove. There are four trim levels, base, base select, preferred, and premium. With the exception of the base model, all trim levels can be ordered with all-wheel drive. So a little bit of competition for, like, Subaru with the Impreza. Power is provided by a 2.5-liter, 186-horsepower, four-cylinder engine that can be matched with either a six-speed manual. Yeah, the manual's not dead in this car, or an automatic transmission. Our road test was in the uh, premium version with all-wheel drive. The interior of the Mazda 3 is well thought out with most controls easily accessible. The compact car has many optional features found in luxury cars, such as a large 
8.8 inch uh, center display, push button ignition, dual zone climate control, seat heaters, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, automatic wipers, navigation, Bose premium sound system, and even a heads up display or head up display, I guess is how it's technically called. That's that um, kind of ghosty image that appears on the windshield that tells you, for instance, how many miles per hour you're going, maybe if you're using navigation, turn right in a quarter of a mile, things like that. Uh, so pretty fancy, automatic emergency braking, advanced cruise control, blind spot monitoring, lane departure and lane keeping assistance, uh, all the things to help keep you safe. Seating is comfortable and roomy. This is a compact car, but it can seat. But five adults can travel together. Cozy in the back seat, but they can. Um, front seating is generally comfortable, but if you're taller than six feet, Headroom becomes a little tight. As roomy as some Mazda vehicles are, Dennis, you would not, you would be a little uncomfortable in this. You would have to tilt the seat back to find enough headroom in this uh, oh because you're a little taller. But yeah, if you're six feet, six one, six two, you'll be fine. The optional head-up display uh, projects the pertinent information on the windshield, and again, helps minimize distraction by allowing drivers to keep their eyes more focused on the road, not looking over at the display, for instance. The four-cylinder 186-horsepower engine provides quick acceleration. This is partially due to 186 uh, pound-feet of torque, which gives the Mazda its uh, spirited performance feel. This combination um, can really kind of push this uh, little Mazda to probably 60 miles an hour in a little bit over six seconds, I would say. Um, the all-wheel drive system, completely transparent in its use. Uh, I was driving, well, you know, there's no snow this time of year, so I was driving in some pretty wet, well, seems like wet's pretty typical for us lately, but some pretty wet, rainy, miserable weather, and uh, it did give it a little bit of an extra grip, made it feel a little better, a little bit more in contact with the road. Uh, it's good. Handling is quite good. Mazda didn't sacrifice ride quality. All new suspension system provides a smoother, quieter ride and overall better driving experience. This translates into a car that's comfortable for commuting or fun driving on a twisty two-lane road. Um, good thing about the Mazda 3, I averaged about 30 miles per gallon. According to the onboard computer, Mazda uses cylinder deactivation to help maximize fuel economy while still delivering good performance. The Mazda 3 is one of the best subcon subcompact vehicles I've driven with its combination of stylish good looks, sporty performance, and all-wheel drive, upscale features, and comfortable interior, the Mazda 3 is a winner. Uh, base price, 23.6. Fuel economy with all-wheel drive, according to the EPA, 24 city, 32 highway. Again, I averaged about 30-ish, um, and it hasn't been crash-tested yet by me or anyone else. And then kind of as a comparison... The Volkswagen Golf GTI is the car that originally started the designation of the hot hatch, a fun-to-drive, peppy, great-handling hatchback. And uh, based on my road test, the latest version may be the best. Um, for 2019, the GTI is powered by a 220-horsepower turbocharged four-cylinder engine. There is three trim levels in this, the S, the SE, and the Audubon version. Uh, both There's both a six-speed manual as well as a semi-automatic annual manual transmission it's an automatic it's called their dsg direct shift automatic um our road test was in in the dsg version i have driven last year the 2018 version with the manual with the manual transmission fun fun car to drive if you like if you like driving a stick shift it's a fun car to drive the GTI sits a bit lower than the standard Golf, which improves the handling without any degradation and overall ride. The steering is 
specific to the GTI models, giving a quicker than uh, quicker than the standard golf, while still being very smooth, precisely, and nicely weighed weighted throughout all speeds. Performance from the 228 horsepower engine is really good. It's perfectly matched this to the transmission. This may be one of the, you know, it's just a, it's a fun kind of drive, more fun to drive, I think, with the manual transmission, uh, but it's 258 foot-pounds of torque, which, um, which really, which really is what gives it that feel, um, and all the torque is available at very low engine RPM, so unlike some cars where they become more powerful feeling the faster you go, this starts off at low speed, so if you're kind of geared upright, uh, the torque comes on at about 1500 RPM and just climbs up from there. Brakes are as good as the performance, big brakes on this car. In addition, our test car had the latest technology, such as forward collision warning, uh, autonomous braking, pedestrian detection, blind spot monitoring, backup camera with LED headlights. The, the seats are comfortable and supportive with plenty of adjustments for drivers of all sizes. Even those over six feet will find plenty of uh, head and leg room. Uh, our car had the optional sunroof, which I liked a lot. The controls are well laid out and just seem to get better with age. The touchscreen works well, but also has some knobs for major functions. It uses a proximity sensor on this radio system or infotainment system where it looks nice and clean and, and lacks any virtual buttons until you bring your hand near it. And as soon as you bring your hand near it, other buttons start to light up. So presets for the radio or things like that. So it, actually works out pretty good um the rear seats are comfortable and can fold for additional storage holding almost uh suv like 58 cubic feet of cargo space making the hatchback a very useful vehicle for weekend errands in fact with its almost flat floor uh this gti can carry a full-size bicycle probably no one's in the back seat beach chairs or i suppose plenty of stuff from ikea if you like flat pack furniture uh not a big fan of Ikea. I know a lot of people are. Uh, Can't there stand are more... it. It's like a rat maze getting in and out of there. <laughs> well, that is true. But do you get Swedish meatballs at one end or something? Isn't there food? At the end, yeah, there's food there. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that makes it somewhat worthwhile. But you're right. It is. And it's, um, I don't, well, anyway, this isn't a, this isn't a review of Ikea. And, true. But I agree, I agree with you. Uh, there are more powerful and perhaps even better handling hatchbacks, but this may be one of the best overall combinations, style, performance, comfort, and economy. Base price uh, starts at about $27,000. Uh, the most recent one I drove was in the mid-30s, so it gets pretty pricey. But good fuel economy if you like something a little bit different, you know, like something a little bit uh, it's got a little bit more zing to it. Uh, the, golf, the Golf is good. So these are two... Very, very good hatchbacks that are fun to drive, very versatile, lots of safety features in them. Uh, so if you're somebody who wants to add a little bit of extra safety to your to your driving, these two vehicles can do a really good job of uh, help keeping you safe. This is sort of a, I guess, interesting, well, I guess I, I haven't been keeping up with the news in the last few days, Uh Dennis, where are we with tariffs in China? Still ongoing. Still ongoing. Well, Cadillac is adding nearly 200 dealerships to China. Cadillac plans to sustain growth in China by adding products and expanding its dealership network to about 500 by 2025. 
up from 302 currently supporting expansion will be a new or redesigned Cadillac model on average every six months through 2021. That's about the same as the U.S. So interesting to see that uh, looks like China is going to be the biggest of the uh, biggest of the uh, market for Cadillac. And that's why it's failing in the United States. <laughs> could be, could be part of it, but we'll save that. For, we'll save that for Joe Lagatti's show. Yes. Um, well, uh, Dennis and I, in between the break, we're talking about five uh, G and what that can do for you, technology-wise, uh, and with vehicle to vehicle communications and vehicle to what they call V to X, vehicle to infrastructure communications or I guess that's V to I, V to X is vehicle to everything communications. Um, there's a Chinese company called, uh, I think it's Huawei, uh, H-U-A-W-E-I. Yes. And it is the world's first 5G communications hardware for the automotive industry and a sign of its growing ambitions to become a key supplier in the sector of self-driving technology. So, 5G in cars, which I think is going to be the future. It's uh, Some people think it's DSRC. Some people think it's 5G. We'll have to wait and see what would happen. Uh, I talked about this on Wednesday with uh, Joe Agati. The U.S. Uh, drops plans to require a vehicle brake throttle override. The regulation originally was proposed by NHTSA in response to a series of unintended acceleration incidents in Toyota vehicles. It would be required that all vehicles... Uh, brakes to be able to override the accelerator. So in other words, if for some reason the brake, the gas pedal was stuck, you step on the brake and it would electronically disconnect the throttle. Um, every car that I have ever driven, when this was going on with Toyota, I would step on the brake. Well, I would step on the gas and step on the brake and see if the brakes were strong enough to stop the, stop the car. And Every case, they would be. The one area you could actually get it not to work would be if you were riding the brake to the point where the brakes got hot to failure. So if you notice a car was speeding up and you just put your foot on the brake and you push the brake not that hard, not that hard, not that hard, and by the time you finally panicked, you jammed on the brakes, your brakes would lose their ability to stop the car. But if you just jammed on the brake pedal, you were doing fine. Uh, but anyway, the proposal was aimed at ensuring that driver could halt a vehicle by applying the brakes if the throttle was trapped by a floor mat shoe or some other obstruction by a shoe. Like people that kick off their shoes and drive barefoot, I guess. I don't know. In 2012, NHTSA said some automakers had not made the system standard. On Monday, NHTSA said all automakers have voluntarily installed brake throttle override systems on all new vehicles, and the agency does not anticipate any automakers removing the system. But in dropping the but in dropping the proposed rule, NHTSA said it will not set braking distance requirements for the systems and other performance requirements. Um, Gloria Bergquist, spokesperson for the Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers, trade group representing General Motors, Toyota, Volkswagen, and others, said the rule was no longer necessary. When the technology is, is in widespread use now, there's no need to continue rulemaking. Uh, brake throttle override systems work by the vehicle software cutting power to the throttle if both pedals are depressed. NHTSA has also proposed extending the rules to require vehicles to return to idle when the driver stops pressing on the accelerator 
in response to a fail-safe operation includes electronic throttle systems. Uh, on Monday, NHTSA said a broader understanding of safe design of vehicle electronic system is needed to make sure an informed decision on regulating the return to idle. The return to idle one scares me a little bit because I don't think the technology is quite ready yet. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's talk to Tom. Good morning, Tom. Yeah, good morning. Hi. How are you? Good. What are you doing working on a beautiful day like today? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, but uh, I only work for another 45 minutes, and then I'm done. Yeah, good. Easy easy money, right? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, not why I'm yeah, calling. That- yeah, there's no money, but yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, just come to mind. You still have you still have the uh, the uh, Viper. Uh, no Vipers, no Vipers. So call that, you know, that, call that. No, I don't have I don't have any toys. That's you know Junior D'Amato. My buddy Junior D'Amato has all the toys. I live through him. All right, all right. I, I thought I was talking to him. Oh no, no. Okay. No, sorry. Uh, Two thousand two thousand one Ford Subaru, low heat. Um, I did everything. I started. I started out with the. Uh, Flushing the radiator, flushing the heater core, and then importing a thermostat, and I'm still getting low heat. This I bought it as a winter winter vehicle, low mileage. What do you think I should uh, do with that? Well, you said it, it's a 2002 what? One 2001 Subaru Forester. Oh, Subaru Forester. Okay, I heard yeah. Ford in there somewhere. I got a little confused. Uh, so you have you put a thermostat in it. You you flush the radiator. You flush the you flush the heater core. Is the yeah. engine getting up? Is the engine getting up the the right operating temperature? Is the, is the temperature it's gauge? A, yeah, it's a little. It goes it averages out about a little over a quarter. You know, between a quarter and a half on the low low side. Okay. Know? I guess one thing I'd want to do is first thing is to make sure that the engine is really getting up to operating temperature. And there's no reason to think it isn't. You put a new thermostat in it, but there's no reason to think it isn't. Um, the second thing is you want to make sure that look at look at the hoses going in and out of the heater core. Even though you said you flushed out the heater core, um, you know, is it is it going in and out, or is is there enough hot water going through the heater core to generate enough heat? Secondly, right. all cars have some sort of blend door. All cars have something that opens and closes that mixes the hot air with the cool air whether it's whether it's air conditioner or not um, it still opens and closes you may find that it never really gets hot because you're metering in cold air from the outside mixing so even though you have the temperature knob turned all the way up to the hot side it's not fully running the temperature all the way over there because the door that opens and closes that that allows the yeah, yeah. So you want to make under sure the, you're under the dash, under the dash, under the dash. Under under the dash. dash. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. So you want to, yeah, you want to make sure yeah, this car, yeah, this car sat, this sat for like a year and a half. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, that's that's and I bought it, and then I ended up with the, those those problems. But uh, okay, that makes sense because yeah. you know, in like the warmer days, it was warmer. The colder days, it was it wasn't. You know, you were just putting out yeah. moderate moderate heat. Yeah, that's, it sounds like you've got a blend door that's stuck in, especially if it sat for a while. Um, it could it, There could be junk stuck in there that's holding it from closing, or it could just be a, a sticky motor or a sticky cable or, sticky, or bad vacuum line or whatever the system is that uses it. So I would, 
I would try to investigate under the dash, spend a little time under there, and I and I think you'll find it. Yeah, yeah. Great car, by the way. It's good, uh, great for the winter. I had a, we finally got some snow to test it out, so had a lot of fun. There you, All right, uh, there you go. Well, yeah. well, when I talk when I talk to Junior this week, I'll tell him you said hello. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Bye bye. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Bye bye. Speaking of Junior D'Amato, we got to have him on the program uh, again soon because he, within the next month or so, is closing his legendary shop in High Park. Uh, the The shop is um, he's he's building a big addition onto the shop down in Middleborough, uh, not far from where he lives. So he's going to eliminate his commute from uh, that area up to High Park every morning and his commute on the ride back. So he's, uh, he's selling the shop up there. Uh, it's going to be a developer bought it and going to actually build condos on it, I think. And he's going to, uh, he's going to, he's going to do, uh, he's going to, I think he's, I think he's the total shop size is going to be about 40,000 square feet. It's going to be huge. So uh, it's going to be a big shop. Uh, already done a lot of work to, I think he has the floor in. The building's all put together, all ready to go. 617-770-3030 is our number. I think we have old friend John Diamond on the phone. Is that true, John Diamond? No, not John Diamond. John Diamond oh, okay. from Peabody. Oh, okay. oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got uh, my Toyota 2006, and it's got 60,000 miles on it. And I have my brakes checked, and the mechanics said the brakes are fine, uh, but... The tires are Michelin. I got them at Costco. And they're four years old, and they got 10,000 miles on them. He said, like I said, the brakes are fine, the, the tread is fine, but the inside of the tires walls are, are drying out. Hmm. Hmm. Now, they're only four years old, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would expect, I would expect six or seven years out of those tires before there's any dry rot issues. Yeah, he didn't I say. Would, uh, he didn't say it was like serious. He said they he said they are starting to dry out. Starting to dry. Well, there's probably there's two kinds of there's two kinds of kind of dry rot. One is just some surface cracking, checking that happens to the very outside layer of the tire. That you don't worry about. That's just normal age. That's just like everything else. It you know it just happens with age and it gets a little surface cracking. The other is where the tire actually looks like. Uh, what you would think dry rot looks like it looks like it looks like rust in a tire almost and and if it and it in some cases you can get some deep cracking and that's where you need to worry about it but if it's just a little bit of surface cracking a little bit of discoloration with the tires i wouldn't worry about it um but if you're really concerned about it they they're michelin tires they have a workmanship warranty and you can always bring them back to Costco where you bought them and say, hey, look, can you just look over the tires, make sure they're doing okay? Uh, my mechanic told me that they're starting to show some signs of some cracking. I just want to make sure they're in good shape. And if they, and if they do think, you know, where they're, only, where, they're only five, where they're only four years old, if they do think it's an issue with, with performance or workmanship or, you know, quality of the tire, well, then again, um, you know, you replace them while they're under warranty. They'll prorate them, and you can replace them for probably 25% of the cost of new tires. But chances are it's probably just a little bit of sign of 
age cracking, and they're four years old, and you, you kind of would ex- you, you would expect a little bit of surface crack. Michelin tires are one of the certainly you know nobody can argue this some of the best tires made in the world. The way their outer shell is made, they do tend to get a little bit of a they will tend to get a little bit of a, a spider cracking kind of look, spider webby kind of look to them. Um, perfectly normal, nothing wrong with it. Maybe that's all it is. Okay. Okay, John. I don't do too much driving anyway, so I'm, it's, it sounds it. It sounds it. Ten thousand miles in four years. Sounds like what? Doesn't sound like you do too much driving if you're only driving ten thousand miles in four years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you take care of yourself. Right on. Thank you very All much. All right, take care. Yep. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty is our number. Uh, there was a big article in one of the trade publications that says, hands-free isn't attention-free, Cadillac says. Well, we've been saying this for a while, but this is Cadillac Super Cruise technology is marketed as hands-free system, but the luxury brand's job is to make sure consumers don't translate that into attention-free. Super Cruise, which offers hands-free driving experience on limited access freeways and gives the user a glimpse into the future of self-driving cars, was rolled out in 2018 on the CTX sedan, uh, CT6 sedan. The brand, which uh, will begin adding driver assistance features in its lineup in 2020, when presenting Super Cruise to the masses, Cadillac's marketing crew works to avoid misunderstandings by letting consumers know that it the tech doesn't offer, um, doesn't free them of the responsibility of actually driving. The advertising depicts uh, attentive drivers behind the wheel, not those looking to zone out or let the vehicle do all the work. So uh, let's see, this is uh, the director of uh, product planning was asked in a Q&A about some of the dynamics behind Super Cruise in an era of growing vehicle automation Here's a little bit of what he said. Uh, one of the questions was, how do you feel when you see videos of uh, drivers doing unsafe things using Tesla's autopilot? How does that impact the narrative around driver assistance systems? And he says, I'm not going to comment on Tesla system, but I can comment on our system and how we uh, go about our system. If you look at what we do in digital, social, and other places, even down to what we do uh, in our TV spots, we really focus on the technology You'll see in all the communications, we start with the customer where, with their hands on the wheel, it's still ultimately up to the driver to control the vehicle. From a marketing perspective, we are always going to show how the system works as much as people have called it in, called it in, as a uh, safety feature. Well, that's true, and where the problem is, Elon Musk at Tesla says, right now, our vehicles can drive themselves. On their own website, it says our vehicles were never designed to drive themselves. So you have Elon Musk saying one thing and their website saying another thing. And, for instance, in New York City, where people have done some wacky videos with Tesla driving itself and probably Cadillac, too, it's a requirement. It's a state law requirement. You have to have one hand on the wheel. So technically, if you were letting Cadillac Super Cruise or Tesla drive itself and you had your hands off the wheel, You'd be in violation of state law. Um, with the system, Cadillac can't just go out and shoot rolling footage 
as it would with a regular car. Doesn't that brand have to uh, be more detailed in the planning? And it says uh, from a talking footage percentage, that's where we start to look at locations where the vehicle can be used in freeway-based systems, in highway environments. Uh, we change the location of the shoot, but other than that, I don't think we're changing too much. In some cases, they use, uh, I don't know if Cadillac's doing it, but there is there is a section of the freeway out in California that uh, automakers actually pay to shut it down where they test some of these features on actual freeways, and they actually shut it down. So I guess in some parts of California, um, Cadillac, uh, the, the state has too many roads that don't get used, so they can actually rent it out. They can rent their roads out. Um, why, uh, what do consumers and focus groups say about supercruise? Feedback from consumers overall is very positive, especially from consumers who have it. Uh, we've had, we've now had the vehicle out there for a while and we've had people experience it all over the U S and Canada and continue, uh, to have a lot more miles put through the supercruise. We leverage our consumers to learn about how we can make the system better. Well, Back to Tesla, Tesla kind of got in trouble for that too. They put their cars out in something called shadow mode. They admitted to it probably a year or so ago that they were actually using some near misses in the Tesla system to tweak the software to make it work better. Uh, but they didn't tell people that, in fact, the systems needed some work still. Um, we get a lot of uh, traffic on our website, and that's one way they're trying to educate consumers. Uh, I don't know about that. And so what is Cadillac doing uh, at the dealer level to explain Super Cruise to consumers? Uh, we do national training uh, across all of our vehicles. And as we talk about the CT6, we do train our consultants and dealers about Super Cruise and how best to explain it to the customer. We offer test drives on Super Cruise for customers. We train consultants to make sure the experience is seamless. Again, it all sounds good, but I think what happens is, and this just happened recently with, um, I think it was Tesla again, the sales consultant said, this car practically drives itself, and somebody let it do it, and it got into a crash, and that's where some of the problems happen. So, not always as easy as it seems. Our phone lines are open at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Why don't we take a break, pay some bills. My name's John Fall. This is a Car Doctor program. You're listening on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And you can always listen on WROLradio.com. You can find the app at any app store. Just put WROL into the app store search box in uh, Android or Apple, and you will find us. Download the app, and you can take us with you anywhere you go. We'll be right back. Sun, suddenly red blue lights, flash us from behind. Loud voice booming, please develop onto the line. Bella Bridge was a comfort. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Well, this week, May Mobility launched a self-driving shuttle 
in Providence, Rhode Island. It will run its six-passenger electric shuttle seven days a week. Self, uh, self-driving shuttle company Main Mobility continues to expand its operation. The startup will launch, uh, actually launch service this Wednesday. A uh, bunch of my coworkers went down to go check it out. They didn't invite me for some reason. I felt a little hurt by that. Uh, where they'll run the uh, six-passenger electric vehicle shuttles, uh, like I said, seven days a week, in between transit stations in downtown Providence. Shuttles operating as part of the Little Roadie pilot program are free and open to the public. Rhode Island is paying uh, May Mobility $800,000 for the first year of operation. The shuttles will make 12 stops along the route that span approximately six miles, the company's longest to date. This may be the first time I take public transportation. I might try this. We're looking forward to connecting uh, quite a bit of the city together, according to Allison Malek. She is the company's COO. We've got people on the ground now, and others are seeing our vehicles as we get up to scale. Um, Malek offered uh, some details on the Providence service. Um, May Mobility doesn't sell vehicles outright to vendors. Instead, it owns its fleets and handles the on-site maintenance. Human safety drivers, their term, remain behind the wheel of all vehicles. The company closed a series of funding and found about $22 million in February and with some uh, venture capitalists, I guess. Providence will be the third U.S. city in which May Mobility oper- offer- operates self-driving shuttles. In June 2018, it became the first autonomous vehicle company to launch commercial operation working with Bedrock Real Estate Firm in Detroit to connect parking garages to downtown offices. In February, May Mobility began operating shuttles in Columbus, Ohio, uh, with similar goals of connecting commuters with their offices in mind. Service in Grand Rapids, Michigan is expected to begin this summer. Connecting an Amtrak station with downtown Providence along with the Onlyville section of um, of Providence will be the first time May, May Mobility serves as a connector between uh, public transit and the city. Um, I think I want to go to downtown Providence and take the shuttle to Onlyville and get a hot wiener, which is one of the things Onlyville is known for. If you don't know what a Rhode Island hot wiener is, it's it's one of those things you can't explain it unless you've had it. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's talk to Kevin. Kevin, good morning. Hi, good morning, sir. Uh, I have a question. I'm interested in buying a, a work van like the uh, Ford Transit. I've been looking at those, um, looking at them between 2011 and maybe 2015. And they're all about the same price. They're all around 10000 You can get a good deal. Of course, the higher the mileage, the less expensive they are. But I mm-hmm. saw one that's got 120000 And I'm wondering, when you, it's a 2016, which, I don't know, I'm, I supposedly it's just one owner, but you put, probably put about 40,000 miles a year on it in three years. Mm-hmm. What are the drawbacks? Of, of buying? I know that nowadays 100,000 miles doesn't seem to mean much. But could you tell me something about the Ford Transit and their reputation and yeah. mileage, please? Yeah, the Ford Transit, <laughs> unlike the Transit Connect, now the Transit That's, Connect is a, is a smaller vehicle. The Transit... That's the one, I'm sorry. It's the Connect. Oh, you're, okay, Excuse the me? Transit Connect. Yes. The Transit yes. Connect, I wouldn't be as crazy to buy a Transit Connect that has 120,000 miles on it. We have a Transit Connect at work. Um, and we've, and we've used a couple of transit connects, 
for our battery service program, for instance. And once they get 100,000 miles on them, they start to get a little, they, they start to feel a little bit tired. And even though this was a one owner vehicle, you know, that one owner could have been Amazon or somebody who, you know, delivered packages 24 hours a day for, for, you know, 365 days a year for the last four years. So it could be, it could be pretty tired. The transit, the bigger vehicle is actually a bit more dependable. And we, we actually have, I think we have four or five of those at work and those have been holding up really well. Uh, But the transit connect, uh, the the later generation, the newer ones, the the, the ones yeah. that were not made in Turkey, I forget where the newer ones are made. Uh, they are not made here either. Uh, but they they have not been holding. They they would scare me a little bit for with that kind of mileage on it, and I would be concerned about maintenance because it is just a little two point three liter four cylinder engine. And it does yeah. like to have it does like to have routine maintenance done to it. What are you going to be doing with this vehicle? I'm just transporting um, small tools, um, kind of a handyman, and okay, um, all right, okay. That kind so of thing. I yeah, wanted okay. a second vehicle because I have yep. a truck. Yeah, no. For as far as functionality of the vehicle, uh, yes. there's probably no better city vehicle than these things are. They they yeah. they handle well. They're low enough to get into parking garages. They're, they're great for making three-point turns. They're very functional. But my concern would be, overall, one that had a 2016 that was going 40,000 miles a year could be pretty well worn out. And what I would definitely do is have it checked out by a good independent repair shop, have them go through it and make sure that it's not it's not getting tired underneath. There's, the front suspension system has been prone to some premature wear. Uh, the yeah. transmission, the transmission actually has been holding up pretty well. The engines, if they didn't get regular routine oil changes, tended to burn a little bit of oil, um, at least in the older ones. So that would be, those would be kind of my concerns. Electrical wise, they're, they're actually, they actually held up pretty well. So as far as, uh, mystery electrical things, I have heard of some air conditioner issues with them, but I would, I would spend you know, an hour's worth of labor time with a good repair shop to have somebody run through it and see what kind of shape it's in. If I was looking at a transit, if I was looking for a transit connect, and again, it's a, it's a really functional little vehicle for, uh, for a lot of things. So, you know, they, they're the perfect vehicle, like you said, uh, uh, handyman services, flower shops, caterers, you know, all those kind of things, you know, not carrying a lot of weight, even though they claim they're, you know, they can carry about a half ton of weight. Uh, I would worry about I would worry about that, but if this thing was used as a stop and go vehicle, forty thousand miles a year, that would worry me a little bit about what kind of wear and tear there is under it. So I would have it checked yes. out with a good shop and see what kind of shape it's in. So as far as electrical problems are concerned, because I've been reading, you know, looking on the computer and reading the reviews from consumers, and one person said he had uh, as the mileage rose. He was having a few electrical problems, but right, that could just be that one. It could that could is. that could be that limited one again. The mileage, and we've talked about this a lot before. Mileage doesn't mean what it did back when I was a kid, for instance. When I when I first worked in a repair shop, we would do a valve job at twenty five or thirty thousand miles, and we'd do a we'd do a whole engine overhaul at seventy five or eighty thousand miles, and it was yeah. not it was unusual. To see an engine with a hundred thousand miles on it that never that never was taken apart because that would be that would that was almost like a 
a unicorn. That was like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like that. What do you mean you've never yeah. even had a valve cover off of it? Today, we see cars that are that go 10,000 miles between oil changes, and they run 250,000 miles without any real problems. In fact, I was at a General Motors uh, testing facility a year or two ago and it was it was pretty interesting because they were they were testing all of their durability in engines and transmissions to 175,000 miles so they were doing just plain all out testing to make sure that every single one of their vehicles under routine conditions would go 175,000 miles without any problems so you look at 120,000 miles on a Transit Connect and go, well, how much longer should it last? It should well, I'm last wondering a lot that. longer. Yeah, it should last. Do they go up they, to 200,000? Oh, I, I've, seen, I've seen Transit Connects I mean, go 200 plus thousand miles without any problem. But again, oh, yeah. I would want to, yeah, I would want to, the one thing I would be concerned about, though, is making sure that regular routine maintenance was done. Again, spend the money with somebody, have them check it out, make sure it's in good shape. If they give it a clean bill of health, it's not leaking any oil, the transmission you know, shifts solidly the way it should. Kind of an old-time used car trick. As soon as you get in the car, start it up and put it right into reverse. It should snap right into reverse. If there's kind of a lazy hesitation, uh, kind of a mm, okay. before it goes into reverse, that's an indication the pump seals are starting to get worn on it. Uh, when you first yeah. start it up, there should be no smoke that comes out of the tailpipe. Uh, if there is, that could be an indication. Valve guides are starting to wear. Uh, and again, look at look at the fluids under the hood. Does the transmission fluid is it is it a nice, uh, especially with a Ford, is it kind of a nice cherry red color? If it's if it's brown and discolored, mm -hmm. well, that's an indication you got some transmission issues in your future. Um, Brake fluid should be good and clean. And again, driving it down the road, it should feel good and tight and, and travel and travel nice and smooth. It shouldn't go from side to side. All of that stuff can be checked out with a with a good technician jacking it up, oh, checking well. it out, seeing what kind of shape it's in. And okay. it sounds, well, it sounds like in a, in a nutshell, what you're saying, um, in conclusion, I, I know you have a lot of calls. You try to get one as low, like a 50000 if, if possible, around there, and then have it made have it checked out, and then have it maintained on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, maintain it on a regular basis. Again, if it's... I won't get 100000 I won't. I don't think yeah. I'll get that vehicle. Yeah. I'll, if, I'll try to go under that. Yeah. If, if you said to me, for instance, our AAA Transit Connect van that we have at work that we use to do our safety programs, well, that yeah. gets that gets the oil changed every five thousand miles. It gets routine service all the time. It gets driven primarily by one person. It doesn't mm -hmm. have you know that's a vehicle that's going to go two hundred thousand miles with no problems because I it gets see. maintained. Yeah. It get maintained really well. On the other hand, if it's something that's a that's a work truck or a delivery vehicle that never shuts off and it's and you know gets run with low oil in it and things like that, that's going to be one that's going to give you a little bit of a problem. So make and sure you check out. That's. Oh, I'm sorry. Go I, I didn't mean. I, but Go I just ahead. want to say, by maintain, you just you don't just mean the oil. Is it just the oil and filter change and all the fluids checked by regular yeah, maintenance? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. That's what I mean by maintain oil and oil and filter. 
all the fluids yes. in good shape and make sure yes. that, you know, anything that wears, steering, suspension, brakes, things like that, are all in good shape. And if they are, you know, the okay. rest of it's just a metal shell, you know. So, and, you know, vehicle, you know, the later the vehicle, the newer the technology. But you want to make sure that everything in it works, you know, there's no lights on, no check engine lights on, no airbag lights on, no anti-lock brake lights on. Those are all things mm -hmm. that can haunt you, haunt you and be expensive to fix. Okay. Well, I'll look for something with lower miles than the 100,000. Thank there you. There you go. All right. Take care. I know. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. 617-770-3030, uh, Let's talk to Peter. Good morning, Peter. Hey, good morning, John. Hey. How are you? I'm good. Excellent, yeah. So, in uh, keeping with the last call and going along, um, I was wondering, um, um, I have this 2006 CRV uh, mm -hmm. two, with a 2.4 you know, liter engine. Yep. Yep. Um, it has about 86,000 miles on it. Um, does this engine have a timing chain or belt? I hope it's got a chain. I, I'm going to start reading up more about this. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I also think it has a chain. You said it's 2006? No, this one's a 2006. Yeah, yeah. I believe that has a chain. I don't, I don't have... I don't have my chart right in front of me, so I'm yeah. just going by memory, but I believe it has a chain. Uh, because right. if it because if it had a belt, it'd be broken by now. <laughs> That's why I hate those. Uh, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, actually, and I shouldn't say that. The the timing belts on Hondas usually are somewhere between ninety and one hundred and five thousand miles. Okay. Yeah, but I yeah, but I probably. believe I believe that the the two point four liter in the CRV and in the Accord all have chains. The V six actually has a belt. All right now. Looking ahead, um, talking about this hundred thousand mile mark and so on. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm if this car has been well cared for with oil change, yep. all the rest. Um, what uh, what do I you know? In other words, um, in the future, what uh, the needs to be done to make sure I get at least one hundred and twenty? You know. Yeah. Uh, well, that, you know that should that should be easy to do, but do all your regular maintenance, oil filter right. changes. Um, all the regular routine maintenance. Um, yep. The other thing is what was kind of common with with that, a couple of problem areas with that car. Uh, starter problems sometimes. So if you're starting yep. to have a, if you're starting to have an issue, air conditioner problems, the air conditioner clutch would go bad on a lot of those. So, uh -huh. you know, if you start to have some intermittent air conditioner problems, you know what it is. It's a bad clutch. And those are just repairs. Uh, but as far right. as things that are going to keep it from going 120, 150, 200,000 miles, uh, it's all up to you. It's all up to you yep. taking care of it. But as far as uh -huh. expected repairs that you're going to have in the future besides brakes and steering and suspension, normal stuff that wears out, okay. um, the, rest is just, the rest is just something as, as simple as, well, you might need a starter. Or the other thing in yeah. some of the – CRVs about your vintage 2004, 5, 6 they had some issues where a check engine light would come on and it was actually a bad throttle it was actually a bad throttle position switch which tells the computer where the gas pedal is the problem is Honda doesn't make it serviceable so you have to buy a throttle body assembly it's by the time you're done you spend a thousand dollars but again those are just repairs those are things you need to you need to fix when they go when they break so common yeah. starter air conditioner maybe throttle body the rest of it though do the brakes 
to wear out, do the fluids when they need it, uh, put plugs in it when it when it's needed, uh, replace the regular drive belt so when it's often, supposed to be. How often? Do, how often? How long do the plugs last? You know, Andy, did, what, what did, do you think? When, when should they be changed? Um, you know, whatever the owner's manual says, use that as a guide. But generally, it's about sixty thousand miles. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so, yeah, I'm still the fox on the. How many horsepower this thing develops so approximately? Probably 150. Yeah, it's yeah in that range. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, not, you're, okay. you're not towing a great. You're not towing a great big boat, so you should be in good shape. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, guess what? Yeah, the air conditioning bunch, I think is already gone. So all right. That, that's the bottom line. It's a solid machine. All right. Yeah, well, you know. you know they they used to they used to call it four four uh, four sixty air conditioning. So. Goes down, drive at 60 miles an hour, you'll stay nice and cool. All right, take care, Peter. All right, right. thanks. Bye-bye. All right. So from iccars.com, they always put out these studies, and and one of the studies they put out said, uh, what are the the cars that people want to get rid of almost as soon as they buy them? Well, this was uh, uh, in uh, in Detroit, 19.3% of Metro Detroit buyers unloaded in uh, Versa notes in less than a year. So they didn't pay a lot of money for them, but they, that was at the top of the list. Uh, the Audi Q3 subcompact SUVs, uh, 13.9% uh, got rid of them. The Jaguar XF sports sedan, about 11.7%. Audi A3, the, their compact car, 10.2%. Audi A4. And I wonder if these are people who just get bored with their cars after a while, not that they had a bad experience. The top... The 10 vehicles most frequently sold in the first year nationally, nationally are even richer in luxury models. Again, this might be uh, uh, just an idea that they get tired of. The Mercedes-Benz C-Class, the small Mercedes, BMW 3 Series, Land Rover Discovery, uh, Land Rover Evoque, uh, Mini Clubman, BMW X1, BMW X3, and Jaguar XF uh, was in there. Uh, German luxury brands uh, topped the list of most frequently sold cars in less than a year. BMW with almost 8%, Porsche at about 7.5%, Mercedes at 7.5%, uh, Land Rover, Jaguar, Mini, Fiat, Audi, Nissan, and Altima. So, you know, bad news for Nissan and, and Mini, I guess, that uh, with Mini qualifying for the least, a semi-luxury uh, brand, Fiat and and Nissan are the only two mass market brands in the worst top 10. And again, I don't know that the numbers really mean that much, but there's always interesting information that comes from IC Cars. Uh, go to their website once in a while. If you're buying a car, selling a car, thinking about looking, iccars.com, and you'll also find the Car Doctor column in there too. So a little plug for the Car Doctor Q&A. I bet Paul Sullivan is in the studio because I'm not. And you have good vision from, what, 1,500 miles away? I, who bad. knows where I am? Who knows where I am? Parts unknown. It's always it's always a mystery. <laughs> That's what they used to say for the wrestling guys, but they didn't want uh, you to know they were from Chicago. They said, parts unknown. Yeah. Parts unknown. Yeah, that's that's me. All right. So, there you are. How, yeah, how's the so, weather in parts unknown? Is it warmer than it is uh, here? Although it's not bad here today. I understand that of all the places I should be, it should be back there. Looks because nice. I understand. Here. I understand it's going to be a beautiful weekend. Yeah. Uh, beautiful, beautiful Saturday, beautiful Sunday, and it looks like the weather's going to finally start to turn around again. 
are we are we turning into a, a two season sort of area now where it's winter and then summer and there's no spring and fall? No, well, it's it's only going to be in the low seventies today, so yeah. that's pretty uh, spring like. Yeah, and all then right, okay. eighty on Monday, I guess. But um, no, you know what it is? We're we're the um, we're a citizenry of short memories because it's it's like this all the time. I mean, it is. It, it it's is. Spring, it, it, and then it uh, goes to summer for a day or two. Then it goes back to winter. Then it goes. It it, it fits and starts. Yeah, so we don't it, that remember is, that it's always like this. We think you know, it's it's always like that, and we're and we're New Englanders, and we like to complain about it. Exactly. It's, so it's, that's what that's what we do. Fall and spring are transition seasons. Right. Summer and winter are solid. They're either hot or cold, mm-hmm. or and rainy, then, or rainy, or whatever. Yeah. And then spring and fall are the in between where you get everything. <laughs> hey, if there's a Dennis? website called Icy Cars, is there one called Thought Out Cars? Yeah, the way you say it, it's I C. Oh, it's I oh. I S E E Cars, right? I had images. Yeah, of like, yeah, it's uh, like it's like it's like I see dead people. Yeah. It's oh, sort of like that movie. Oh, right? oh, oh it's I C Cars. So I get John it says it. I can hear. Yeah. I was saying it's like it says icy, icy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like icy hot. I'm familiar with that lately. All right. <laughs> some aches and some aches and pains with this your. Says uh, who? Yeah, 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 couple. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I, 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 I'm experiencing the same thing because I turned a year older this week. If that's hey, happy possible. birthday! So, well, thank you. You went, yeah. you went to yeah. parts unknown on your birthday. I love that. Well, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think that I think that's what you know. Who knows what next year is going to bring? So. Where are you going to be next week? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Parts unknown. So, uh, yeah, parts parts unknown. Yeah, next uh, uh, a week from actually this Wednesday coming up, uh, the New England Motor Press, which I am the president of, we do a big event at MIT. Where every time I walk through MIT, I, I hope that a little bit of intelligence rubs off on me somehow. <laughs> so, I tested out of it, MIT. Yeah. yeah, it's really yeah. Well, that's that's okay. That's okay. Uh, uh, and I know I feel bad for, and I, I guess probably I shouldn't feel that bad. I feel bad for uh, graduating students, their parents, uh, because uh, we looked into booking some hotel rooms for folks um, who are coming to our event, and uh, the average hotel room rate in Boston. Uh, it, the last week in May is about a thousand dollars a night. Wow. Yeah. So if you want to sublet, you want to sublet your uh, bedroom or something, you can probably make a fortune. No, no thanks. No thanks. Okay. No thanks. All right. Hey, the piano guy's there. How do you know that? I can hear it. Thought you were underground. No, no. I, I know what's I know what's going on. I'm all knowing at this point. So, and the one thing I know is. Yeah. You're coming up next with I the am. Irish Hit Parade in the very best in Irish music. Anything anything specific on tap or just great Irish music like you play every Saturday? I think it's St. Patrick's Day again for one of the 52 weeks of the year. And um, hopefully a lot of people call and tell me what they want to hear because I want to hear what they want to hear. Wow. Yeah. That's almost like when things never change, they never change. Exactly. Okay. Something like that, yeah. What yeah. color is an yeah. orange? <laughs> if it can't be exactly. a good sport, at least wear a good sport coat. There, there you go. All good things. Hey, coming Pithy. up next, Paul Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hit Parade coming up right here on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.